I mean, it's been amazing uh, to see the growth and the quality of beef over the last 10, 20, even 25 years through better genetics, better uh, nutrition, um, just, just many different ways we've managed the product. So we're starting to see more and more of these higher value programs come into place. Welcome to Meats Pad, a platform dedicated to sharing breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the meats industry. These discussions help foster and improve communication and knowledge dissemination within the meat science community. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Meat Export Federation, the National Provisioner, Ultrasource, the new standard for innovation. Dry Age Pro makes dry aging in-house flexible, safe, and affordable. Whirlpack. Designed with intention for results you can trust. Hello, me folks. Welcome back to the Mitzvah Podcast. Today, we have uh, someone very important in the meat industry, um, in the U.S. meat industry, and also in um, overseas in Europe. He just uh, told us that he was on a call in Japan. So I think we've got a pretty interesting topic about grading and so much more. Uh, welcome, Dr. Vass. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm not the exciting one, of course, though. Um, the exciting one for all the listeners out there is, is uh, Dr. Bucky Gortney. And um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce him, Francisco. Dr. Gortney has been uh, a, a, an integral part in the meat sciences and the meat industry for quite some time now. Um, I think I think first time you and I met Dr. Gortney, you were, you were still with National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Um, uh, you're, you're with USDA right now. And that's really what's going to be our focus today is kind of talking about your role with USDA, USDA AMS. And, and for those listening out there, um, especially our small and medium-sized processors, sometimes we forget just how how big of an organization the United States Department of Agriculture really is. And uh, most, most of our medium-sized processors probably interact with USDA in a food safety inspection service type of way. However, there's this other big integral part um, that, that maybe doesn't get interacted with directly, but often indirectly. Um, and, then, and then especially with our, our, our very large processes out there, USDA Agricultural Marketing Service is always being a partner and being part of the process. And so that's where USDA AMS comes into play. And, uh, and just like to introduce uh, Dr. Bucky Gortney, who is part of USDA AMS. Dr. Gortney, thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. Just to, as I've mentioned, you know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners are medium and small size processors and, and most of the time they're working with an, a, a, someone from FSIS, Food Safety Inspection Service. Um, but they also are probably bringing in product that has been graded by Agricultural Marketing Service or has had some input from AMS. Um, so can you, can you give our audience uh, a little bit of background of what USDA AMS is, its purpose, its role in the U.S. ag industry. Yeah, as you mentioned, AMS is a very large part of USDA, and USDA is even a much larger organization uh, than that, obviously. You've got Forest Service, which is massive. You've got Food Safety Inspection Service, which employs a lot of people, and AMS is just a part of that. One of the things I like to tell people is how we kind of differentiate AMS from like FSIS, and it comes up a lot, it's the whole grading versus inspection, right? 
And I always tell people, you know, the inspection part is a mandatory process. It's a it's a federally funded taxpayer driven program, um, whereas the AMS programs and 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 grading programs in particular are fee for service programs. So these aren't paid by the taxpayer. They're paid by the industry or the processor that wants the service, i.e. beef grading or lamb grading or I mean, we can talk about cotton things like that because AMS crosses a lot of different things. I happen to be in the livestock and poultry program, which has multiple programs under that. But AMS, just to give you a perspective, they also do commodity procurement. That's all of the food that's being procured by the, the government, particularly on protein, um, as it relates to red meat or poultry or eggs or even seafood. Uh, we, we work with that area. Cotton and tobacco grading, we have that function. Dairy, fair trade practice federal grain inspection, transportation and marketing, which does a lot of the grants that you'll see, uh, specialty crops, science and technology, organic program, big program. So AMS is a really large organization. Um, to go one step further, livestock and poultry, which is the, 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 the group that I'm in, also has multiple components. And I'm in what we call the standards and specifications division. And that particular division we just recently created about a year ago, right before the pandemic hit. And we've broken that into basically four branches. We've got our shell egg branch. We've got our food safety and technology branch, which is going to deal with a lot of that commodity procurement we talked about. We got the meat branch, which I'm in. And then we got our poultry branch. So it's a, it's a small group, but we do a lot of work. We provide a lot of services and technical kind of expertise to our colleagues in the other programs. So it's been a real fun and exciting uh, place to work. Well, and, and to follow up on that, something that um, a lot of folks don't realize, um, even inside in the meat business, um, is, is that the, the grading that you've talked about, that, that's a value-added proposition that USDA can bring in, but it is, as you said, a fee-for-service. So you are a third-party verifier, if, if I'm saying this correctly, a third-party verifier of a specification, of a, of, uh, a standard. Um, and, and so that's the value, I believe, that USDA AMS brings. And then also that difference, as you mentioned, between USDA inspection and USDA grading um, and inspection is a mandatory thing to sell meat in this country. It has to go through some form of inspection, right? Whereas is, and the, and the way I like to say it, it, uh, it is your right to eat safe meat in this country. It is not your right to eat tasty meat in this country. And that's where, <laughs> that's where, you know, the, the added value that, that USDA AMS um, brings along. Um, one, one point in particular that I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on um, uh, is, is maybe beef grading. And, and, I, and from my observations, being out in, in the meat industry, that's the one that really has a big impact on our livestock value right now. Um, and so can you talk just a little bit about the background of beef grading? Um, what value does that bring and, and what are some of the uh, standards that you are looking for within within the grading area? Yeah, so if we want to focus on beef grading, you know, it's it's one of our standards that's been around for a long time. You can go back even to the 20s and 30s when some of the first standards start to be developed. You know, as we got into the 60s and 70s where 
box beef programs and things really started to evolve, then those standards become a lot more solid. It's one of the standards that's most widely adopted in the industry. I think we're between 95 and 98 uh, percent of the beef, uh, fed beef, here, steers and heifers that go through uh, slaughter are, are presented for grading. So it's a very high, high number. And the thing that's unique about beef grading is it's done on every single carcass, whereas uh, some other grading programs are maybe done on a batch basis or kind of an audit type basis. So it's every carcass. Um, there's always a grader present. Um, we have adopted uh, assistive technologies like cameras uh, that help us with those images and then those uh, line speeds and things of that sort. But there's a grader always there looking at every piece of piece of meat. So the other thing you mentioned value, uh, it's it's really integrated in the value chain when we talk about price discovery, uh, particularly when we look at that choice select spread, we look at those value added premium programs. Uh, we're all very familiar with the certified Angus beef and the success of that, how that was carved out into that upper two thirds choice. And we're now seeing even more of those programs uh, come to light. We're seeing more emphasis on some of our prime products. I mean, it's been amazing uh, to see the growth and the quality of beef over the last 10, 20, even 25 years through better genetics, better uh, nutrition, um, just, just many different ways we've managed the product. So we're starting to see more and more of these higher value programs come into place. And we're gonna play a role, whether it's through grading, maybe it's through a process verified program, which we call PVP, another third party audit type system. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a interesting role we play, especially as it relates to information in market news. Even going down to the cut level, like you know an export rib or a loin or, or whatever cuts being sold. So price discovery, uh, value, very important for beef grading. I think this is this is awesome. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that we can go with this conversation, and I hope maybe in the next next time we can talk about more topics. This is. This is very cool. And I think uh, um, recently we had um, Dr. Michael Dagman. He touched on, on some of what you mentioned, these branded programs and, and what, um, a lot of the changes that the beef industry uh, went through in the last 40, 50 years. And it's definitely, uh, for those folks that are small meat, meat, uh, meat processors in, in the United States, and how can they benefit, how, how can USDA can uh, help or provide those resources for maybe some folks that are wanting to, to know more about that option. I mean, they may be, they may just uh, got uh, some USDA grant for the inspection part, but looking at other markets, we also had Dr. Arp from, from USBF uh, also uh, last month. So could you please touch on this and uh, a little bit about um, your thoughts? Yeah, you bring up a great point. I would say when I talk about that high number of beef being graded, those are those are in the large plants. Uh, we know that. Uh, we we do trickle down to some what you would maybe call larger medium sized plants, but we're not really grading a lot at those small smaller plants. And what's exciting uh, about the future of grading is we're starting to address that. We are starting to look at other ways, especially with during this pandemic. We learned we have to do things or try to do things in a remote way. We, we have to provide the service in real time and we need technology. And we're starting to see some involvement in our programs. And one of the things we're doing is we're, we're, we're trying to look at ways we can get these services 
at a cost-effective rate in these small plants. One of the drawbacks is a small plant could ask for grading services tomorrow if they wanted to. The problem is our structure is such that we have to have a, a large commitment. We have to have a full day commitment, which includes travel, you know, that's on an hourly basis. So it can get pretty pricey if you're only grading 10 head or 20 head or 30 head. So what we're trying to do is say, okay, let's take a step back. Um, we have traditionally uh, developed other programs related to small and medium sized, uh, uh, both livestock producers and meat processors. What can we do in grading services? So we're looking at that right now. Uh, I'm excited uh, to be a, kind of a part of that discussion and hopefully find some solutions where we can can get that uh, going. Yeah, and you know, like you said, anytime you can get folks from different societies, different cultures, different countries, um, generally there is going to be a knowledge share of some sort. You're always going to pick something up, even if it's even if it's just getting to better know those different cultures and different groups of folks. There, as Francisco's mentioned, I mean, there's so many different ways that we could take this conversation and, and, and that's, that's really interesting. And, and, you know, not to let the cat out of the bag too far, but I, I mean, you know, you and I have talked about um, some other potential technologies that may be out there and, and um, advancements that are being in, made in other countries that we may be able to implement here at the United States to help some of the smaller and medium sized processors um, come online with grading which would be fantastic um you know uh it, to 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 still talk about the impact that ams has on um the smaller and medium-sized processors is the reality is that they're still purchasing meat from some of the bigger ones and right. and prime choice and select um what i what i you know those those are the levels of grades that you're going to see most common out there and again, for those that are, are, are considering big purchases of, of meat, you know, you have to realize there are some pretty important factors that go into it that have been well established for a long time now to identify those grades. And we're talking about higher levels of marbling, intramuscular fat. We're talking about the younger animals, especially, you know, maturity plays a huge role in palatability and, and it's that palatability proposition that that USDA brings into play, and I, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I love beef. I preach beef regularly, obviously, and I, watching the markets, I'm super excited to see the improvement <laughs> of the quality grades that are out there. Um, where, where is this going to take us, Dr. Gortney? And without going too far into um, the research that maybe USDA is uh, looking at. Do we need to maybe reassess some of these grades or um, are we going to be seeing a lot more well into the prime category that we're going to have to take a little bit different look at those high quality cattle? Yeah, I, it's an interesting question. And one of the things I'll say right up front about uh, our all of our standards, um, whether it be just in the meat area or whatever, we're always evaluating those. We're always assessing the impact, right? But at the same time, we don't just go and change them based on that. We look for stakeholder input. And one of the drivers of any standards change is gonna be having stakeholders weigh in and say, we really need you to look at this standard because of this. And a good example is uh, the most recent change was when we had you know, developing the issue with 30 months and uh, dentition. 
and adopting that as our as our as our mandatory way we do this. So we had to integrate that into our grading change. Sorry, yeah, to interrupt, because this is a huge topic. Could you play for those folks that they don't know about dentition? Will you please elaborate a little bit more on that? So what what that is? Well, I, I can certainly try. Uh, so it really gets back to uh, the the international standard set set by Codex some years ago in response to BSE, and the the, the concept was. 30 month was a, a break point where you needed to be separating specific risk materials from the carcass that was over 30 months um, from those under 30 months, which would decrease and mitigate risks of, of BSC. So the world really adopted that uh, uh, much earlier on than, than the United States and some other countries. And you know, we, we certainly have a decent export market, not as big as some countries, but it, it's, it's big and it's growing and it's valuable. So, you know, we had to, we had to make some changes. And, and what was interesting about that change and the reason it was adopted so readily and, and implemented was that the research really added up. It made sense. It showed that that 30 months really included, uh, you know, those carcasses we normally had in the A and B category, which is a maturity indicator from a skeletal maturity. And that was really our, our initial kind of quality standard was looking at skeletal maturity. But then going to that, you know, every animal dentition, uh, permanent incisors, that whole thing really helped uh, standardize the grading activities we did. And, and actually included some additional carcasses that fit um, that younger animal uh, category than, than what was previously there. So that was an industry-driven, you know, a really focused effort with some, some good research to back it up. So yeah, we're, we're certainly open to, to, to considering changes, but we're really looking for that industry to, to kind of guide us. So what, what are the issues? That, that was, a, I remember distinctly when I was still uh, at, at a previous career and uh, when, when that change came about, and, and I know there were an awful lot of discussion going on in the industry at that time. Um, and to, to remind folks out there, you know, when we're looking at, at maturity of an animal, um, in the United States, these animals don't show up with a birth certificate. Um, it, now more and more they are, but nothing compared to some other countries that maybe have full traceability. And that's just the dynamics of the United States. And that's, that's okay. Um, but it's important to still understand what the maturity of those animals are. And for the longest time, we looked at physiological indicators, looking at the bone, especially on, on, is this, uh, is this an older animal? And that older animal could contribute to toughening of meat. And so it's very important to consider that when you're assessing the overall value, i.e. the grade, the quality grade in this case. And so, yes, looking at dentition, thankfully, the system was already in place in, in pretty much all major plants that did, that did grading because they were also part of the export system. Them. And so looking at dentition was already an important thing. And so, That's right. um, you know, just for reminding the folks that are out there that maybe have, were part of meat judging teams from yesteryear and, and remember looking at skeletal maturity. And we still teach that, obviously, it's still an important factor. I still have nightmares about that. Right. <laughs> well, what a subjective evaluation. Now it's, now it's, are the incisors there or not? Are the, are the baby teeth missing in the right place or are they not? Um, and, and not to put you on the spot, but from USDA, could you tell us exactly what a USDA 
greater would be looking for as far as the dentition. I know they don't see the teeth themselves, but yeah, what we- so so what's going to happen there is you're going to have a, a trained plant person doing the dentition, uh, I believe right after stun and bleed. Mm-hmm. And if they find one that's over that 30 month barrier, they're going to be marked with an ink in some way. A lot of people put an ink on the hawk. There's, there's some other ways you can do that. So when that carcass then comes along for a grader, they have to assess other traits and other characteristics. But in the norm, that's a very low population because as you know, even over the last you know, many years, the, the specificity of products going to specific plants has really changed. Used to, you might see a plant that, that harvested older cows or market cows or even bulls. Now you, you rarely see that. So you're really getting these dedicated fed heifers and steers going to these plants. So you're really not seeing a, a, a large amount of those over 30 months. So our system is set up to, you know, get them, get them background and get them in the feedlot, uh, get them fed and, and, and market them. And, and I don't even know what the average age is, but it's, it's probably more what 18 to 22 months rather than 30. So we're hitting, we're hitting that pretty young animal. I think we didn't ask you about a little bit about your background. Pretty much just started the conversation, got very excited and I think I do want to take the, the, the time to just touch a little bit about you, all the other experience. Um, and I think this is great for other folks that um, they may know you personally. Uh, I know just looking at um, uh, your resume a little bit, you're the 2018 American Meat Science Association Signal Service Award. And I think one of, one of the, the ones that stood out to me, um, it was the, the, you were part of the United Nations work just in Europe, I was working with other meat scientists um, in Europe and other parts of the world. And how, how do you interact with them? You know, my, my interest in meat science happened by chance. Like sometimes that happens. I, I did grow up in ag and, and, and we even when I was in high school, we had a, um, a small a custom uh, plant where we slaughtered and harvested. And we actually had at one time a, a federally inspected plant that we ran but it wasn't really a passion at that point. I was just a, a worker, you know, and, and enjoyed it. Um, but then when I got to Oklahoma State and kind of got roped into uh, some of our introductory meat classes, that's when Dr. Glendolazal said, hey, you know, you got an interest in meat judging. I thought, I don't know what that is, but yeah, sure, let's, let's give it a try. But man, once I got into that, I really enjoyed it. I really excelled at it. And it absolutely led me down my career path. It led to an opportunity to get a graduate degree at Nebraska and coach a judging team there. It allowed me to continue on with my PhD. Uh, So it really kind of defined kind of where I went. And what's interesting about that is I'm, I'm, I think I'm like a lot of younger kids are now. I had a pretty narrow vision of what I could do or what I wanted to do in the industry. Um, But once I got out into it, it was amazing because every every step in the process, every place I worked just opened up my eyes and really broadened my perspective of what my education in meat really exposed me to. And that was food. The whole food industry is massive. And there's so many things that connect to it that that's the exciting part. And you can choose to take different paths. So I think one of the beauties of me working before before I got to USDA or to the government is bringing 
relevant industry experience, whether through a couple of my industry jobs early on, and then really cutting my teeth with the NCBA and some association work and really did some cool things there with the research program. Um, and then being recruited to go to USDA and the government was, you know, a, a real exciting opportunity. Um, so yeah, it's been a great career. I really like the international part. It's allowed me to travel to many countries and be a part of different types of missions, whether it be working with, uh, we call it capacity building, where we're working with a company that, or a country that maybe wants to join the WTO or join other international organizations. Yep. And they need help with their standards. And one of the things that always pops up is information and and we always talk about market news and making sure that in your country and for your livestock producers and your meat processors, you have some information and market information where producers can make decisions. It's that value chain we just talked about. It's so critical because many of these countries just take whatever they can produce as a livestock and sell it by the pound. And it, it just doesn't have any, it, it has value, but it doesn't have differentiation value to show those producers what they can produce. Maybe it is for a small export market. Maybe it's for a local market. So it's really important to do those things. So you mentioned the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe. It's an international body that we've been a part of for a number of years. We have, um, you know, annual meetings where we, go to Switzerland headquarters and when we talk about standards, we think it's really important for the US government and USDA to be a part of that discussion. Now, we don't necessarily adopt those standards as our own, many countries do, but you really gotta be present. You've got to uh, show what your position is. And if you start to look at some of those standards that are developed internationally, we impact those. They'll read a lot like some of our standards, maybe if institutional meat purchasing specifications really have you know, evolved into a quasi-international standard on many levels. So um, that's just one, one thing we, we do and, and it is very exciting, it's very fun. This conversation, you know, it began with USDA as a broad organization and you continue, even, even within the small category of USDA that USDA AMS is, um, <laughs> clearly there's a lot more to it and a lot of opportunities out there. And so, you know, it, I, I think it's important. I, I, I hope that we're having a number of younger folks listening to this podcast and um, especially those that maybe are looking for a career opportunity. Can you potentially, could you talk a little bit about some of those career um, uh, options that may be within USDA AMS for um, someone looking to begin their career or advance, <laughs> as, as they would say sometimes. Yeah, gosh, there's so much opportunity. You know, we, we've got a, a lot of open positions right now in our, in our grading activities. Now, those are, you know, entry-level positions, but if you've got a BS or even a master's, you can, you can enter it at a decent level, pretty good salary. And I think the thing, the, the couple of things I really want to hit home on is anywhere you work, and I've got experience in that, you're going to have bureaucracy. It may be a different type of bureaucracy. And I don't care, <laughs> Phil. I'm sure going to uh, academia is a different kind of bureaucracy, but it's yeah, there. It's all, yeah. And you're going to have that in government. You know, and old people say, oh, red tape, red tape. Yeah, sure. There's always things you got to work through. There's a hierarchy. There's a structure. There's, you know, many things you have to do, but 
it's really no different than anywhere else. So I want young people to understand that you're going to face that in any position. The second thing is, in terms of working for the government, in particular uh, where I work, is you've got a really good work-life balance, an excellent work-life balance. And the benefit, so, so many people, and, and I was guilty early on as well, only want to look at that dollar sign. What are you going to offer me for a salary? That's only a small part of the picture. It's a big part of the picture for a, for a young person because more money than they've ever made in their lives, like it's their first job. But it's all the other intangibles. It's the health benefits. It's the vacation programs. It's work-life balance. It's the advancement opportunities. In the government, you can really advance rather quickly up through the hierarchy and training opportunities are unlimited they really are you can you can go different paths you can do um you know extra extra activities uh you can do detail programs which i've done a couple which are just fascinating i, I worked for u.s trade trade you know, ustr uh for a year and a half and really found some fascinating things there i've, I've done some stuff with labeling and fsis so there's just opportunities abound and you know i would encourage not just not just entry level and young kids but other people that have more experience can bring that to the table and i think i think there's some potential homes there for them so yeah uh I, i've been a real advocate for that um and 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 really enjoy talking to students about that like you've said i mean there there's 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 work here in the United States. There's work internationally once we start doing that a lot more again. And, and trust me, it's it has to happen again because we're people and we want to interact with other people. Right. And so it's a great chance to explore your your options and, and explore your mind. Um, and and really you're helping out the farmers and ranchers and especially those folks um, that are, are devoted to helping farmers and ranchers have a better life and have a better sale of their product to their live animals. This is that opportunity to do that. It's a service organization. Um, yes, it's it, like you've mentioned, Dr. Gortney, you're in USDA. I'm in the academic world. I mean, there's there's a bit of paperwork here and there, but it's everywhere and you learn, you learn your way through it. And so don't let that be a stumbling block. Check it out. That's there are right. some really Absolutely. cool options, right? Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. And, and I think you're right. We will get back to our, 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 uh, you know, our, we're, we face forward for the industry. We, we need that interaction. We're, we're, we're still traveling a little bit out to plants where we really have to have to do some stuff, you know, but we're still limited in, in going to some other places that we really need to go. So we're, we're excited to slowly get that ramp back up. <clears throat> we're excited about, you know, future programs and uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time to be here. And, you know, it, one of the things I, I do want to mention as well is, you know, I, I left USDA for a while and I, I thought that at the time I needed some additional, uh, uh, not, not motivation, it's not the right word, but challenge. And I went at the industry for a little while and didn't work out the way I thought it would. Um, and I, what I realized real quick was it was I was kind of waiting for a challenge instead of challenging myself. Mm. And so I've got a completely new perspective on my, on my role and position and I just love being able to help other programs and our administration understand the technical part of our business 
you know, every time a new president comes in, there's a new set of people you, that come in at the higher levels and you have to educate them. You have to show them because they may not have that experience. And a lot of times they don't have ag experience. So you're really educating them on your programs, what it means to the industry and having that service oriented industry versus a regulated industry. It really makes a difference. Yeah. Well, I thank you for sharing that. And I think we, we almost wrapping up, um, uh almost wrapping up this conversation with you, but I, I do want to go back to uh, talking with those uh, young folks, including me. Um, I think all your experience, uh, and at some point when I talked to Dr. Bass in the very beginning, that he, he went from industry to academia, and then you kind of, maybe kind of the same thing going, uh, well, you're now the government and then a private industry. Would you please tell us uh, about some of the, the most challenging parts i mean throughout your career maybe like i don't know something that could um, could help our audience understand more about about your career from that perspective having that background having the ability to to work on on, on two parties or two entities yeah so it was interesting because when i started my my phd program at at nebraska with dr chris Cawkins, one of the first things he he asked me he said Okay, you got to make a choice here. You've got to decide whether you're going to be, you know, a, a, one of few experts in a in a certain field, or do you want to know a lot about a little bit about a lot of things? And I said, well, as much as I have really thought about going into academia, I'm I need to know a lot, a little bit about a lot of things. And I'm I consider myself a, a generalist in that sense, uh, being exposed to many different proteins in my you know, my career, I started out doing research on poultry and beta agonists, and then I went to the, the beef part, and then my first job was in pork, and, you know, then, then working in different industries for, for that, so I even did some aquaculture work, and then some catfish, so it's really served me well to know about protein, right, um, and, and, you know, if you don't know something, you, you learn about it, you educate yourself, you surround yourself with, with people. And, and part of being successful in a, in a job, in my opinion, is knowing who the expert is. If someone knows more than you do, and you need to solve a problem, engage them. It's not personal. You need to be, you need to have a diverse team around you. You need to know who those experts are, experts are get them engaged in the process. And that's one of the great things about USDA. There is such a diverse workforce and I've come to appreciate that much more as I, as I go in my career because they bring a whole different set of optics to working with a problem. And I've always been a, don't, don't, don't whine to me unless you have a solution. Let's find a solution. And we can, there is a solution out there. It may be too expensive, but a lot of cases, and a lot of times there, there are solutions and you gotta be creative. And, and my role really allows me to be creative, to, to, to kind of find, ask those questions that maybe weren't asked. That's part of uh, an advantage of coming to the government a little later. It's just, I didn't start in government. I didn't have all of these preconceived notions. So when I came to USDA, yeah, that's pretty silly questions, but <laughs> I also was challenged in the system a little bit. And it really helped to kind of understand where we could and couldn't go. Don't don't just be a problem finder, be a problem solver as well. Absolutely. As I heard. <laughs> yeah, well, and, okay. and and you know, I'll I'll just echo echo that. Um, if these modern times haven't taught us anything else, it's to overcome adversity 
and be willing to challenge oneself. Don't wait for someone else to do that. So. That's absolutely right. Well said. Well, I, I don't know, Francisco, about you, but I'd, I'd love to have Dr. Gortney back here. And we'll, we, at the risk of taking this conversation for another three hours, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say thank you again so much for joining us. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I was in the back of my mind. I've, I've thought that these types of programs, this type of podcast, it, it can be really fun, can be really informative, and I'm super excited to be involved. I'm always a phone call away, email away. I'd be happy to do whatever you guys need to do. So good luck with this. Thanks for inviting me, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you a lot. That we end this episode. Thank you a lot for listening. If you'd like to receive notifications on the new releases and the new episodes, please subscribe at www.meetspad.com. If you're a small and mid-sized meat processor and you have concerns or questions about a certain topic related to, to meat science and meat processing, please email us at info at Thank you and I'll see you the next time.